Hey everyone, welcome back to the Never Split Up podcast. I'm your co-host Nolan, along with my co-host Anthony. How you doing today? Good. Getting into the thick of the holidays. Yeah, yeah, definitely excited for the holidays. We have some announcements for next week. We're going to start getting into that Christmas spirit, so that's going to be yes, fun. My kind of Christmas spirit too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but in the meantime, we have our two episodes this week. So we're going to start out this week with the Black Phone. Correct. Correct. Okay. That was another movie released this year. It says 2021, but that was the festival release, right? Yeah. So they originally, and they kept moving the dates throughout the last two years because of COVID and all that. Um, but yeah, it did premiere at festivals last uh, 2021, and then it was released this summer. Yeah, in the summer. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. I saw that. I, I, I saw it in theaters. I don't know if you did. I did as well. Yeah. Yep. So do you want to go over a quick synopsis real quick? Yes. All right. So the synopsis from IMDb, after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims, the Black Phone. Uh, This was directed by Scott Derrickson. He directed quite a few horror movies. He did the direct-to-video Hellraiser Inferno, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Sinister, and Deliver Us from Evil. And we will definitely be getting to some of those. And I can't wait for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Sinister is one of my all-time favorites. That synopsis pretty much nails it. I mean, it's pretty straightforward movie. You know, there's not a lot going on here. It's just a, a fun movie. I mean, the performances are great. We'll obviously get into those. Um, do you want to go over the cast like right off the bat? Because some of these kid actors really shined for me. And they're I think they're all newcomers, right? There really isn't any established actors in this movie besides Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the two leads are like up and coming. They may have been in a couple of things, but uh, this is their breakout for sure. Yeah, so we have our main character, Finney, is played by Mason Thames or Thames. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I think it's Mason Thomas, no? I'm seeing different on my end. Oh, yeah, Mason Mason Thames. That's what I'm seeing too. Okay, yeah, so Mason Thames, he's the lead in this and he's awesome he definitely um along with his sister and of course ethan hawk carried this movie uh his sister uh she plays gwen the actress is madeline mcgraw she was in something right uh the curse of la llorona i didn't realize she was the girl from oh yeah she was now that you say that she sounds familiar she looks familiar she steals the movie for me honestly okay she does. Yeah. She's a scene sealer for sure. I also forgot to mention, uh, this is based on a short story by Joe Hill. If anyone wanted to know, so check that out. Stephen King's son. Okay. I was just going to say, okay, yes. that Joe Hill. <laughs> yes, that Joe Hill. The <laughs> Joe Hill. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've heard this movie be praised for sticking to the source material. So apparently okay. it's pretty close to the original uh, short story or whatever. So that's cool to hear. Another actor I definitely want to highlight is uh, Miguel Mora. He plays Robin in the movie. We've talked in the previous episode uh, with Smile how characters with limited screen time didn't shine and didn't use their limited screen time to the best of their abilities. I think this guy definitely did. His relationship with Finney in the movie, while limited, is like really impactful. And I think that's one of the highlights of this movie. I don't know how you feel. 100% agree, and I think his uh, 
scene at the end is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. So, so let's just get into it? it. Yeah, what did you think of the movie? I liked it a lot. I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I, I saw like maybe the teaser trailer uh, before I went to see it in theater, so I didn't get a whole lot. I knew it was the same guy who did Sinister. Um, you know, I knew Ethan Hawke was going to be the bad guy. It was a very straightforward movie, which isn't a bad thing. I was expecting it to be a little more. I, I really can't put it into words, like not straightforward, if that makes sense. But actually, on my second watch, I, I enjoyed this movie a lot more. Not because I didn't enjoy it the first time. I definitely enjoyed it the first time. But watching it a second time, I really picked up on a lot of things like the relationships and the performances and the costume design and putting you into the 70s. Like It was all done so well. So I definitely have a new appreciation for this movie. So I'm glad we're covering it because I was able to give it another watch. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, I agree. First of all, I love that it takes place in a 1978. I love 70s horror, so that just spoke to me right there. Um, I like. I agree. I really liked it. It's super solid, well made. The direction and cinematography are very good. I like the story. It's suspenseful. There's tension in it. We have a lot of jump scares. I do think that they played it too safe. I was expecting something a little more darker, considering the subject matter. And uh, to me, when the most disturbing scene in a movie is when the daughter is getting whipped by her dad, when it's a movie about a child murder, to me, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is a little too safe for me. But yeah, I did really like it. I also think that Ethan Hawke was great, but there wasn't enough of him. I mean, if you have Ethan Hawke in your movie, let him be in your movie. Yeah, that was actually, that's probably my biggest problem with this movie. And I was going to uh, talk about that. It was such a cool character. and. I really wanted to see more of his name is Albert Shaw, aka the Grabber. I really yeah, I just, wanted to I see just more of him as the Grabber. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to see what he could do with that role, and uh, they focused a lot on Finney, which I get for the plot um, why they did, and it was a like you said, a solid plot, solid script. But show more of the Grabber. I always like seeing interesting villains. So that's just where I come from. And I think you're the same. Even more of the grabber with Finney. Like there wasn't enough the grabber like interacting with him. Yeah. And there was there was little things throughout the movie that that the grabber did, but it didn't really resonate because you didn't know why he was doing it because right. you didn't have that. Not necessarily backstory, but you didn't have that groundwork. Right. And I'm fine with no backstory or a mystery, but I just wanted more of him being evil. Like I feel like it was so rushed his screen time. He has like a few lines of dialogue, then he goes away. Then he comes back for a couple lines of dialogue, then he goes away. And it's like that whole process and circle throughout the entire movie. Yeah, I agree. So let's just get into the spoiler part of the episode. Okay. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check this movie out because it's a really solid movie. I can't really think of anything it does bad. No, it doesn't do anything bad. It's just very uh, safe. It's a crowd pleaser. I wanted more of a dark, gritty story. And this is definitely a crowd pleaser that you're going to sure at the end you can see with the crowd and have a good time yeah i agree it doesn't have to have a dark ending to no to be a no dark movie. no no not at all but i just thought the whole movie was more uh safe and i wanted it to go to darker places throughout you know but i love coming of age horror and this is definitely that with finn and i love the brother and sister relationship as my favorite thing about the movie so that was special to me so yeah i definitely recommend checking this one out regardless yeah so let's get into it i mean right off the bat 
especially, like I said, on my second time watching it, the overall set pieces and the costume design just put you right into the 70s. I mean, there was no doubt about it that you were in, I think it was uh, North Denver, Denver yeah. Denver um, in 1978. And you start off with the baseball game. You got the classic like Little League jerseys. Uh, <laughs> just the whole setup was so well done to really let you know, like there's no doubt about it. This is the 70s. Right. I love that scene too because you have Finney. He's, uh, I think he's the pitcher at the game, right? Yes. I think he plays the pitcher and then his sister's on the stands. You can tell they already have that good bond right from the opening scene. And then I love when, uh, what's the guy's name? I think the baseball player is Bruce that he ends up, you know, hitting a home run or whatever, winning the game. And he's not an asshole. He goes up to Finney, you know, saying, nice try, you know, you did good. I love that opening. And then obviously we get right before the credits, we see Bruce walking home and then the grabber's van. Comes up, fade to black. Good opening scene. Very good, effective opening scene. Definitely. So Bruce is our presumed first victim. You see the black van roll up and then, yeah, yeah, that we see. And it kind of rolls up on us and it just fades to black, right? We don't really see anything else. Um, You see Bruce's face kind of get startled, like his eyes go wide, like something's not right. And then you see the van pull in front of him. Yeah, we don't even see Ethan Hawke in that scene yet. We just see the van. No, no. So then it cuts to the school bullying scene. They're on their way to school, right? It's Finney and Gwen are, are walking to school. They're discussing the grabber, you know, because he's in the headlines. Yeah, so at this point, he's there. there's been a couple, at least a couple kids missing, right? Yes, quite a few, yeah. Okay, because I think at the end, the total is five. Yeah, and we have, yeah, we see a few and of them And then we have throughout. Finney as the sixth, so I think... We see uh, one, two, at least three or four, and then there's maybe one or two that we don't see that happened, I guess, before the movie started. So, right, yeah, right. it's it's in the headlines. They're talking about all these kids that are that have gone missing, and we get the bully scene. Such an intense bullying scene. <laughs> That's vicious. Well, first we get first we get introduced to Robin right outside the school, and he's fighting the one kid, the bigger that's, kid. Yeah, that's not yeah, – yeah, yeah, yeah. First, we see Finney get picked on a little bit, and then we see Robin fighting the other dude. Okay. I love Robin. He's great. Yeah, Robin is like a little, uh, you know, Bruce Lee. He's a skinny, skinny little kid, but he doesn't he take any shit. Fight, and he takes, down, he takes down this bigger guy, and you know that, you know, you don't fuck with Robin. Right. So that's how we get introduced to him. And then, and then we get into, uh, into class and. Pretty much, we can just go right to the the scene in the bathroom, right? Yes. So Finney goes to the bathroom. Then there's bullies in there. He starts getting picked on, and we're let we we're shown that he kind of doesn't stick up for himself, and uh, you know he's a shy kid. He's bullied, and then Robin comes in to his defense when he's getting uh you know bullied and messed around a bit, and then Robin says you have to start sticking up for yourself, man. And then you know he says I can't, and then that's the whole plot of the movie. Pretty much, he has to learn to stick up for himself. So I love that scene. I love that moment between them two. Yeah, me too. Because you don't know at this point if him and Robin are friends. I mean, you just saw Robin outside the school. And then he walks in and defends Finney. And then after the bullies leave, you're not sure if he just did that because he felt bad for this dweeb. Right. Then you find out, like, no, they're actually friends. He actually likes Finney. Right. I, I like how they, they did that. And I believe he asks if uh, Finney can help him with his homework. Yes, yes. So it's kind of like a give and take. Like, he protects Finney. Finney helps him with his homework. It's it's an equal partnership, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Robin hosts him out a bit more, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say. And then I love this scene in that same day. Uh, the cops, I guess they're questioning the kids because of the missing abductions. And then uh, so Gwen comes in for an interview with the cops. And uh, she explains that she's been having these dreams and seeing things. And they're kind of calling her out like, oh, some stupid kid. Um, and then she calls him, which might be my favorite quote of the movie. She calls him dumb fucking fart knockers. <laughs> I actually have that written down, too. I loved that. <laughs> I laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love her. She's a she's a badass in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so that sets up the scene that you were talking about with the father. So they're they're back home. It's I think it's the next day. Yeah, so we see. I think that first night, um, you know, they're trying to Finney's trying to be quiet because he's watching a movie, and his dad told him, you know, you can't watch that those horror movies because you'll get scared. So he's like quietly watching a horror movie, and we can see him getting scared and disgusted, which is also foreshadowing for what he's going to have to go through. So that was a little cool nugget right there too. And then the next morning is when uh, we get the whipping belt scene, which was heart wrenching. Yeah. Look at, look at you with the foreshadowing, picking up on that. I feel like you pick up on that foreshadowing more than I do. So that's a good, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't necessarily pick up on that. That's what I watch these movies for. I love it. Yeah. So then it's the next day and Finney wakes up to, his father yelling and screaming at his sister. And the father explains that the detectives that were talking to Gwen, did did we really talk about that? Um, why they were talking to her? I mentioned briefly that she's been having like visions and is, uh, you know. Yeah, so she's been having visions and she told the sister of, I believe, Bruce Yamada, I guess she has a class with Bruce's sister, right. that there was black balloons at the scene. And that when he was taken, there there was black balloons and the detectives found this out and wanted to question her because that wasn't released to the public, right. that every time a victim was taken, there was black balloons at the scene. So they wanted to know how she knew yeah. she knew that and who told her that they thought they even say, like, we don't think you did it. We think that there might be a leak at the station and we want to find right. out, like, you know, who's a corrupt cop or who is telling people this confidential information. So. Yeah, the father finds out about it because the detectives go to his job and I guess make a scene at his job. And he uh, is very mad about that. And we find out the reason later on in the movie. We get a little snippet here. He goes, you're not your mother. You know, you don't see things. He just says a little bit of a snippet right there. Yeah. So right now she's having these dreams. It's it's just dreams, right? It's, yes. That's the only way. Yeah, she's... She just has dreams. Yeah. But apparently her mother had dreams and visions. It told her to do things and all that. Told her to do things and she ended up killing her father doesn't want his daughter to end up like his wife, her mother. Complex relationship. He's an abusive father. It's a it's a tough scene to watch. Uh he's he's whipping her with the belt. You know from the night before that he's a drunk. I mean, he passes out with with beer bottles in his hands and um, you see Finney like kind of taking care of him that night, so you can kind of tell he's that's not necessarily a deadbeat. I mean, they have a nice house that they live in. I thought that was interesting. Um, they don't live in a rundown no, house. Know. I mean, he works. He's a working man. He's just abusive. It's complex because he loves his kids, but he's not showing the love in the right way. Clearly, from that scene, and I think they did that. Um, this his character intentionally to kind of uh, help explain. Ethan Hawke's character, and we'll get into that. 
his motivations. They don't they don't necessarily spell it out for us, but there's a lot of similarities, I feel like. And he's played by Jeremy Davies, the dad, and he's he's a good character actor. He does really good in this movie. Yeah, so at this point, um, we get to Robin, right? Well, I just want to say I love that. Just point out um, Madeline's acting in that scene, too. It's just she's so good. Like, I felt that scene because of her acting in that whipping scene. He's, like, making her say, oh, yeah. my dreams are just dreams, and she's just screaming it over and over, sobbing. Like, whoa, this girl can act. Yeah, definitely. She acted her ass off in this movie. That scene was so powerful. Can't understate that, yeah. So, yeah, then we get into uh, Robin. We see Robin gets abducted. Right. Again, the same kind of thing. He walks up. He's walking like in an alleyway. It looks like there's a van there. We do see Ethan the grabber get out of the van, but then it just cuts away again. So it's almost like a rinse and repeat, which I also am like, I wanted to see Robin maybe run a little bit or put up a little fight. I wanted to see how he got in the van because we just saw that in the opening scene, the pre-title scene, and then it's almost like the same scene over again. So that was kind of annoying to me. We've already established that Robin can hold his own especially against a bigger opponent i mean that kid he was fighting was a big kid so it's not out of the question that he can put up a fight against a grown adult he is younger in this movie but he knows how to fight right and i'm 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 not saying that the grabber wouldn't get the upper hand but i wanted to see it get to that point that's where i'm saying the movie plays it a little safe it's like they don't want to show kids in peril but you're making a movie about a child murderer so you kind of have to show it a little bit i think they should have shown more in that scene. I, I think the grabber should have been able to easily subdue him, though, because if there was a struggle right off the bat, it kind of makes his character a little less dominant and scary. No, I agree. I just wish it maybe like a little chase scene or something. You know, I didn't even need them to fight him. I just wanted to see a little bit more than another cut to black. I know they're keeping him mysterious, which I get. Okay. But I wanted it to play on a little bit longer. That's fair. So then now that he's missing... Finney doesn't have his bodyguard anymore. Right. So the bullies come back. uh, They come back to bother him, and they start kicking the shit out of Finney outside school. Uh, Yeah, they go down. But then... uh... And that's when uh, Gwen comes (laughs) with this massive rock and just freaking decks the one bully. She runs up to them with the rock, and she says, fucking cock-sucking cowards. (laughs) (laughs) She's so awesome in this movie. I don't think we said, but this is the younger sister. So she's like maybe what? They're, 10, they're close uh, in age, but she's definitely younger. You can tell like she's either in middle school and he's starting high school or, you know, something around there. But yeah, she's a, she takes a rock and she smashes this kid's head. Blood everywhere. Like I said, oh, I almost feel like these scenes are more intense than the scenes with the grabber. So that's another. I'm like, this movie is very safe in that regard. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, he gets into a fight. So that pretty much takes us right to when he gets abducted, right? When Finney gets abducted, they're leaving school and Gwen and him separate because she's going to a friend's house and he's walking home from school and the black van approaches. And this is really our first scene where we get to see right. the grabber. And he actually speaks. It's his first right. line of dialogue. And yeah. So he pretty much tricks Finn with a magic trick. He has a Finn, uh, he opens the door, and then Finn sees, oh, those black balloons, and he puts two and two together a little too late, so then the grabber drugs Finney, and he gets him into the van, so that's how Finney gets abducted. Um, That's a good scene. I thought that was a very good scene. Well, because we're finally listening to Ethan Hawke do his thing a little bit, so that's why I really like that scene a lot. Yeah, I feel like in that scene, he definitely harnessed a little uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker. 
Because his face was painted, right? He didn't have the mask on. Yeah, it was like white paint. It almost looked like white paint or something on his face. Yeah, you didn't see it. They didn't show a lot of his face in that scene, but you could tell that he was wearing some sort of makeup. Um, but he wasn't wearing his mask that he wears throughout the movie. So after the grabber gets Vinny, Finny into the van, he brings him to the basement. And Finny did put up a little bit of a fight and scratched the grabber's arm. So the grabber tells him, I should have snapped your neck for what you did to my arm. And I loved that piece of sinister and dark dialogue, especially delivered by Ethan Hawke. And that's what I wanted more of a presence throughout the entire movie. I wanted more of that. Yeah, I, it was kind of just quick hits. Like, it would have been cool if we went more into one long monologue there to open up his character. That would have been really cool. Kind of like The Lighthouse. That whole movie is one monologue. <laughs> so that's kind of my critique, too. Uh, more Ethan Hawke. I would have liked to see more of him. He kind of just says one line or two, and then he vanishes. And he delivered it so well. So like, I just wanted yeah. him to keep going. Like, give me a couple more sentences or something. It almost feels like they had him for like a couple weeks and he just like did all this stuff in a week or something. That's how it felt to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. And I know he's obviously worked with this director before. I mean, they worked on Sinister. He's a producer on this too. So it's important to him, the project. It almost seems like he was like a last minute shoe in and he had a busy schedule. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) But the thing I did love about this episode, uh, sorry, the scene is... His mask design, we, we can talk about the mask design. So it's kind of separated into two parts. You have the top part, which covers his eyes and the top of his head, and then the bottom part, which can come off. It covers his mouth and his nose and his chin. And in this scene, the bottom part is just expressionless. There's no mouth. It's just a blank piece of mask. And I think that was brilliant because he changes his masks throughout the movie. And in this particular moment, Finney and you as the viewer you're not really sure what this guy's deal is because he just abducted Finney, but now he's telling Finney, oh, don't worry, you're safe. You're going to be fine. Right. I'm not going to make you I do, won't do anything. anything to you. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to hurt you. But he just abducted him. So I think it was conveyed in the mask. So I thought that was cool. And I would just want to mention that the masks in this movie were done by the iconic Tom Savini. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. That's really cool. And they were... They were so cool. I'm definitely going to look into getting one. I was going to say those are going to be a Halloween uh, staple the next couple of years, those masks. That was the first thing that really stood out to me when I saw previews uh, for this movie when right, they first too. started doing me trailers. Too. I was like, wow, that looks really cool. It kind of That was the hook for me. So, And that is another thing. This is a Blumhouse movie, and that's one thing that Blumhouse does do as well. They show a lot of the goodies of the movies in the trailers and pretty much every Ethan Hawke scene a little bit of each scene is in the trailer. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I wanted more of him too. I know you can't judge a movie by marketing, two different things, but I was expecting him more throughout the movie. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so the next, Finney passes out. He's like exhausted. So I guess he falls asleep on the bed. It's right. just he a bed sees on the, the floor. Phone, but he passes out. Yeah, you see the uh, the black phone, which is, you know, the title of the movie. So <laughs> that's the phone. And he <laughs> we wake up to the phone ringing. Right. And he goes to answer the phone, right? And there's nobody there. And then that's when the grabber's back in the doorway. Right. And he explains that phone has not worked in years. You know, all that stuff. He's like, I, I, it rang for me, but when I pick up, I never heard anything. So there's kind of this kind of like mysterious thing around the phone now, too. And the grabber's feeding into it a little bit. And he's being very friendly in this scene. And you see the, yes. uh, the, the mask switches out and it's now a happy face. 
It's a mask with a big smile. It's it's the most uh, used mask. They use this mask for all the uh, posters and stuff. So it, when you think about the mask, you see this version. So it's the big smiley face, which is creepy. Right. So the grabber tells Finny, I won't make you do anything you won't like, which is creepy and disgusting in of itself. And then Finny goes, if you try to touch me, I'll scratch your face. And then Ethan Hawke does the poster, the, this face with his hands, and he leans back and we get a good shot of the mask. That's one of the best shots of the grabber in the movie. It's very creepy. And he does a little giggle too, which is awesome. I want them more of that too. <laughs> it's very Joker-like, right? It's very... Uh, yes. Joaquin but it's Pink's. not like a ripoff. It's like a different interpretation of like a madman. Because it's subtle. It's more subtle than the Joker. Yeah, so then we get an explanation, like you said, from the grabber that the phone hasn't worked in since he was a child, but it still rings and he... he explains it as some kind of electromagnetism that makes it ring or something. Right, right. The wiring and something's wrong, yeah. But then the phone rings again, and Finney can hear a voice. And you find out, is Billy the first voice that we that we hear? No, Bruce. Oh, it is Bruce. Okay, I thought it yes. was Billy. I guess he explains that the only person that's been able to hear them is Finney that everyone else only hears the phone ringing and can't hear them on the other end. So that kind of leads you to believe there's something genetic going on because his sister is right. having these dreams. He can now hear voices. His mom had the same, you know, side effects, I guess, of whatever they have, and it's been passed down to them. Right. Pretty much uh, Bruce says, you know, the phone rang for all of us, but we couldn't hear it. The grabber hears the phone too, but he doesn't believe in it. So that's, you know, little hints about Finney's, you know, family power. Yeah, and um, we don't really leave the basement for a while, right? Um, is there any other scenes that we should talk about before we get into the first trap that the grabber tries to lay? Uh, just the little scenes with Gwen because she does have... So after Bruce appears for the first time, that's when we get the dreams, more of Gwen's dreams. And, and I like that because it reminded me of Sinister with the Super 8 film. So I really like the stylistic choice that the director, Scott Derrickson, did with the dreams. So we get a little bit more of a hint of what happened to Bruce. We saw him in the van. So Gwen's pretty much living what happened to these boys in the dreams. Do you think it's weird that it was all boys too? I noticed that too. There was no female victims from what we saw. So that was weird. Uh, did you think it was weird? I, I mean, I think it's a pattern. There's yeah, probably pattern, yeah. an explanation that we didn't get. Right. but Right. That's what I'm thinking. There was no... Uh, there are little context clues that we'll get into, but that's realistic because, you know, right. child abductors and serial killers in the, you know, they have an MO. So, right. So yeah, that's the major uh, thing that happens before the first trap is that we find out that Gwen's dreaming about the boys that have been abducted and seeing what happened to them. Right. So then we get to the next, I don't know, they don't tell you, but a little bit later, um, I think it's the next day. The grabber comes back downstairs and he's got a plate of eggs and a soda. Or... Yeah, he leaves. That's the first time he eats the food, yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously Finney is like, what the hell? What are you going to do with me? Like, what's in the food? And he's like, I didn't poison it. Like, just, just eat. I know you're hungry. Right. And he leaves. Yeah, again, he leaves pretty abruptly, but he leaves the door open. The door is right. cracked open. So you see the plate of food there with the, and Finney notices it instantly. He's like, wait. The door is not locked. I can escape. So he goes over the door and goes to open it. And that's when we get the phone ring again. 
And this time, this time it's Billy. Yes, Billy the newspaper kid, yes. Billy the newspaper kid who we didn't see. He was abducted previously before Bruce. We get, and that's the first good jump scare we get to of Billy with his bloody face. That was a good jump scare. Yeah, it was the first jump scare and it was the best jump scare because... Oh, not in my opinion, but it was a good jump scare. In the movie that um, you're expecting jump scares, they're not as effective. But in this movie, there was no jump scares before this. So because this was the first one, it really got me. It even got me the second time around. I kind of let oh, my really? guard down. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Billy starts talking to Finn on the phone and says, don't go upstairs. And he's like, why? He's like, it's a trap. The grabber's waiting for you. It's a trap. He plays this game called, uh, what is it called? Naughty Boy. Yes, so creepy. I, I, I have, yeah, he does say naughty boy. <laughs> yeah, so and you can't be a naughty boy because then he'll punish you. And then it's a pretty creepy line. He says, because then Finn says, well, what happens if I'm a naughty boy? And he's like, well, then he gets to play the next part of the game and you don't like that. That was such a good exchange. Yeah, that was creepy. And I that implied to me that this is how he died. He was like beat to death with that belt because he went up and tried to escape. So then the jump scare is him yelling, don't go upstairs. And you see right. Billy's ghost. The camera pans and it's Billy's ghost yelling at Finn, which was cool. Right. So this is the first actual supernatural occurrence that happens in the movie. So then the camera, Finny starts to go upstairs anyway, just to check it out. He, he doesn't necessarily take Billy's advice. And then the camera pans around the corner up the stairs and you get that awesome shot of the grabber in a chair. He's now shirtless. Yes. <laughs> and now we have the third iteration of the mask. It's now a big, angry frown face. And he's just sitting there with the belt in his hand. So we now know that he waits for these kids to go upstairs because he wants them to try to escape. That's the thrill he gets out of the kill. He wants them to think they can get away first, which is messed up in and of itself. So that's very, uh, that was good. That was a good piece of the story. I like that. Yeah. And I think in a way in his messed up mind frame, he, by doing this, he's technically not lying to Finney when he tells Finney, like, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you because in his mind, he wasn't going to hurt him until he disobeyed him. And it's this right. weird father son dynamic where it's like a controlling behavior that, you know, well, I wasn't going to hurt him, but he tried to leave and I didn't want him to leave. So he has to be punished now. So it's right. kind of like a motive, like a, not a motive, but it's kind of like a, that's where his moral compass is. He's not going to hurt these kids for no reason at all. He he needs them to disobey him first. So then uh, Finney decides not obviously to go up the stairs. He listens to Billy and then Billy lets him know there's a wire in between the floor and the wall that he tried to get out, but he wasn't able to. So Finney can try to use that to get out the window. So now we find out these dead kids are trying to give him, help him to get out of the situation, you know, give him little hints. And that's when he starts exploring the basement more. Yeah, he finds the wire and he uses it to try to climb up this wall to get to the basement window that's at the top of the wall to try to escape. And there's like this grating. And um, this is this is my first. I really want to talk about the decisions that were made by Finney because the plot of this movie relies heavily on this kid trying to escape. And so normally I wouldn't nitpick a movie this much, especially a horror movie, but because this is the central theme of the movie, I'm going to. So, I mean, he gets the grate off the window, right? Now it's just an exposed window. We don't explore him trying to leave. He just kind of gives up that idea. 
but like, dude, you just got the metal bars off the window. Why not try to break the window and crawl out? Well, I think because once he gets the crate down, the rope comes down too, so he has no way of getting back up there. Yeah, he has no way, but I mean, there's other things in that room. I mean, there's stuff he could try to use. They didn't even really show him try. I guess I would have liked to at least seen the attempt. Yeah, that didn't bother me. Okay. Yeah, that was a nitpick I had. Um, He kind of just gives up that idea, even though he now has a open window, essentially. All he has to do is break the glass. I'm sure it's not bulletproof glass, you know. Did he pull the crate down or just a rope came? I don't. Did he pull the crate, the whole crate came down? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Because remember, he uses that at the end yeah, to help yeah, him yeah, escape. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just took from that that the rope, you know, he didn't, hadn't, couldn't get that high again. But yeah, I get your point, but it didn't bother me. We do cut back to Gwen and her dad, though. I like this scene when she's telling him, don't get mad. But, you know, I'm seeing visions and I want to use them to help us find Finny. And the dad eventually gives in because Gwen goes, I love the way mom was. I love all of her. And I like that was a good touching scene between them. And the dad, you know, gives in and they go search for Finny and try to help. So uh, I like that scene between them. But we also get more insight into what the father, what his point of view is and why he's so hard on Gwen. When she says she has these dreams because he explains that he just doesn't want the same for her and that her mother was just as bright as she was and was so full of life and it eventually drove her mad. So, right. yeah, and he gives in and he you the next time it, it cuts and he's now driving Gwen around the neighborhood, helping her try to find um, her her dreams. So that that was pretty cool to see that he's being a supportive father because she did come to him and, you know. Right. She confided in him and he didn't freak out. Yeah, exactly. So the, then she, they tell the cops and then the cops go to the this house of Max, who's a new character we're introduced to, who uh, was also in Sinister, who played a goofy character in both of these movies. <laughs> James Ranson, that's his name, Max. How do you feel about Max? <laughs> He was all right. I understand why they used him. One of the things I really loved about this movie was the ending, and they use Max to get there. And I'll, I'll explain myself a little bit later in the episode when we get to the ending. Right, but, right. So basically, because of these dreams, it leads the cops to this house. I mean, she's she's helping the detectives, and right. So yeah, they question him, and he says, "You know, I'm in town. This is my brother's place. Um, he's high on cocaine." <laughs> and we find out he's obsessed with the grabber, though. He has a map and like all pictures of the victims. He's obsessed with the case. He's like an internet sleuth before there was the internet. He's trying to f- solve the case. We don't know why. They don't really give him much of a depth at all as a character. No depth <laughs> yeah. at all. No, not at all. So the cops pretty much dismiss him as being like a crazy cokehead weirdo and they leave they say oh let us know if you hear or see anything i don't think that max needed to be in this movie but that's my opinion i i get that i kind of feel the same way i would have rather had more scenes with ethan hawk and finney than cut away to max you know for the last half of the movie every few minutes to check in on him max was kind of like a comedic relief and they and they didn't need it it was very shallow and they didn't even try to explain like why the hell the grabber is hosting his brother in the same house that right. he's got kids. That's just an unnecessary complication. Exactly. Exactly. And you'll see that that is, well, right from the get-go, it's, it's messing with the grabber because he even mentions, I forget who he mentions it to, but his he, he admits that his brother is getting closer 
to solving the case. Right, right. And he's stressing out about it. Yeah, it just it didn't didn't make sense to me. Didn't or didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was such a small part of the movie though. But like you said, they could have used that screen time to have more of Ethan Hawke. So that's why I give that a con because I always want more Ethan Hawke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that brings us to the first um, the escape scene, right? So he goes on the phone again. The phone rings again. I forget who it is on the phone. So before that, he ended up finding a flashlight in the basement. And um, you know, actually before that, the grabber comes down in the basement with food. And he goes, he tells Finney, Finney's pretending he's sleeping. And he goes, I know you're not sleeping, which is also, it's such a good start to a line. And then it just pretty much diminishes. So I'm thinking about letting you go. I won't tell anyone. And then Finney lies and he says his name is Taylor because the grabber asked what his name is. He was testing him, obviously. And then the grabber throws a newspaper at Finney showing, you know, his real name. He goes, well, I almost let you go. And then he leaves, which is cool. But again, very quick. So then we get to see, and I guess Finney must have found a flashlight. So this is my favorite jump scare of the movie. When Finney is putting the flashlight around the basement. And then we just cut to this bloody kid who's like levitating and floating in the basement. I thought that was a really creepy visual. That was my favorite jump scene in the movie. And the kid's pointing to the phone when he's levitating. And then the phone rings. I think his name is Griffin, this kid. Okay, yeah, Griffin. He says he was abducted and he had a bike with a bike lock. And he's being very cryptic at first, but he eventually tells Finney, I don't remember anything other than that. I carved the combination to my bike lock on the wall so I wouldn't forget it. Right, he's telling him, you don't have much time. The brother's going to figure it out. You have to play the game. If you don't play, he can't win. Um, So he's saying, if he can't beat you, he can't move on to the next kid. You have to try to get out now, you know. Yeah, so we didn't say that when the grabber leaves, he leaves the door unlocked again. He's really trying to beat Finney because now he's he's up in that chair again, and they show him start to nod off and fall asleep. So Griffin is um, tells him, you need to go now because he's fallen asleep and you need to get out of here. So you need to sneak past the grabber. So he finds the numbers, but they're all... Oh. Griffin separated really up with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was yelling at the screen. I'm like, Griffin, dude. <laughs> yeah, he didn't separate the numbers. So they're all just jumbled. So he doesn't right. know if it's what order they're in. Like if it's two, what is it? Like 233 or 233. So there's a couple different combinations. So right. Griffin's like, you got to try them all. And I was like, God damn, Griffin. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, Griffin, man. <laughs> but I love Griffin for that because this is my... To me, this is the best sequence of tension and suspense throughout the whole movie, this next scene. I was on edge of my seat with this whole sequence, so thank you, Griffin, for providing me that with your dumbass <laughs> carving skills. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why don't you take us through him going upstairs? So, you know, he finds the carved numbers, and Griffin tells him, you have to try them all, you know, be quiet, go up the stairs. So Finney goes up the stairs, and we see the grabber again in the chair, but he's sleeping. So he passes the grabber very carefully. And like I said, this is the most tension scene filled in the entire movie. So he goes to the door and he starts doing the combinations. Of course, the first one doesn't work. And then we also hear there's a dog upstairs, you know, locked away in a room. So he finally gets the door unlocked, but the dog barks and the grabber wakes up. So then we have a little bit of a tiny, tiny, tiny chase scene, which is all, it was the best scene in the movie, this whole sequence, like I said. So um, the grabber chases down Finn after he's running and... I love this. Again, this is such a good line of dialogue by Ethan Hawke. He goes, he catches up to Finney, tackles him to the ground, and we see a light go on of the neighbor's house. So clearly someone's coming out to investigate. And the grabber says, 
You say one fucking word, I'll gut you like a pig right here in the street and strangle you with your own intestines. Oh, that was fucking awesome. That was creepy. That was a great scene. It was awesome, but it's like this intensity just comes out of nowhere from him and then it's gone. Like you said, it's like these quick little hits and it's like, where is that throughout, you know? So that's my issue is that it's a very well-made movie, but it's a rinse and repeat movie. It's like the same scene in different ways throughout. This is actually my nominee for my never split up moment. Finn, he escapes the house. He starts running down the street and the grabber is able to get in his van and chase him down in his van. And Finn just lets the grabber cut him off with his van. Like Finn could have easily darted into a backyard or something. He stays along the sidewalk. That was pretty, I know he's under a lot of stress, but like I would have expected more, more from Finn in that. Um, at least go knock on a door or, like I said, jump into a backyard. So he almost made it. Not really, though, because he didn't get far at all. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I think it was more of them wanting to rush the scene. Like, let him run down the street a little more and let him get chased a little bit. Or, like, I thought it would have been cool if the grabber came out of the van and maybe Finn, like, was hiding behind trees or, like, ran behind a house. And then it was kind of like a stalking scene rather than him tackling him right away. I would have loved that. I would have loved the stalking scene like in a weird alleyway or backyard or something. Yeah. That was uh, the best line of dialogue from the grabber throughout the movie was the, I'll strangle you with your own intestines. I was like, all right, they went there. I wanted to see, that's what I wanted. The darkness of that. I was expecting that movie for the whole movie, stuff like that. So that's what I mean. Why this is more of a, I mean, it's why the movie did so well. It's a crowd pleaser, jump scare, fun kind of popcorn horror. I, from the trailers, I thought I was going to get a dark, gritty movie about a child murderer. So that's where the disconnect is a little bit for me. But so after he says that to Finney and the stupid neighbor doesn't come out to investigate, he goes, night, night, naughty boy. And then he knocks him out. (laughs) Yeah. So messed up. (laughs) So then he brings him back and he wakes up to the phone, uh, which is a theme throughout this movie. He keeps passing out and then the phone is ringing, waking him up. And this time it's... Dance well, we do hear when he brings them in the basement, we hear someone upstairs asking the grabber what's going on. Oh, yeah, you hear his brother. Right. So we finally realize Max and the grabber, even though I, I mean, if you've seen any movie in your lifetime, you knew that from the first time <laughs> you saw Max on screen. Yeah. But, um, you know, he tells Max, you know, don't worry, the dog was just barking. Go back to bed. He pretty much just dismisses him and sends him to bed. Yeah, and that's when we get Vance Hopper, which I thought was a cool uh, little introduction to his character. They do a little flashback because Finn says on the phone, you're Vance Hopper. Like, I used to be scared of you. Right. And then it flashes back to him getting arrested because he beat the shit out of these kids. I don't like this flashback. I don't think it was necessary. Why did Why did he get a flashback when none of the other kids did? Um. Yeah. Again, it's unnecessary uh, screen time that could have been suited to at least give me more Gwen rather than this flashback to the kid. Okay. I actually like the flashback because at this point in the movie, I, I pretty much knew what they were focusing on and they were focusing on all the kids. So I kind of abandoned the idea that the hopper or the hopper, <laughs> the grabber was going to get a ton of screen time. So this kind of fit right in for me. And I like how that transitions his flashback transitions into Gwen's vision, but I don't think we needed the first part of him just like beating up kids like playing pinball. I don't think we needed that whole uh, convenience store scene. Okay. I, I didn't mind it. And it wasn't too long. It was only No, it wasn't long. long. I just was like, oh, okay, we're going to go back to this. All right. But yeah, so that leads into Gwen having the vision and she sees the house number. 
Yes. She sees the outside of the house, the tree outside of the house, and the house number. She doesn't know the street number, but she has a house number and what the right. house looks like. And actually before that, right before the flashback, I thought of another like great comedic line when she's like in her room. She's like, Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> You're making me see these visions, but you don't help me. <laughs> oh, right. When she's praying to Jesus and she starts questioning. She's like, what the fuck, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So then, yeah, after the flashback, uh, we she sees the house number, which I thought was good because it doesn't like lay it out for her. All she has to go off now is a number. Yeah, and it's up to her to figure it out. I mean, she can't just passively figure out the investigation. She now has to take that and act on it, which is cool. So she comes into play more a little bit, which I like. So then we get the scene where Vance explains that he's probably the one who was the closest to escaping. He's able to carve out the wall in the basement and get into the freezer before he was caught. It just so happened that the grabber caught him before he was able to escape, but he gets into the guy's freezer in the adjacent room in the basement. Right. So he tells uh, Finney Finney. where it is and Finney uh, starts to try to break free, you know, like break out of this prison and he succeeds in getting into the freezer. But then the freezer is locked. So no go. He kind of like, then he loses hope. That's when he finally looks like, all right, I'm screwed. I'm losing hope. So he kind of gets down a little bit. Yeah, he breaks down and starts crying in the corner and it just right. loses all hope. So then, you know, we see him upset and then we the phone rings. So then Finney picks up the phone and we hear it's Robin. And then he has this really nice, like, you know, beautiful exchange. I've been with you this whole time. You know, someday you have to stand up for yourself. And today's that day. Today's the day you t- stop taking this shit. You always knew how to take a punch. You always got back up. You know, I don't want to die for nothing. You need to get out of this. So I'd really like that exchange. You know, Robin's awesome. So he kind of gives him, he pumps him up a little bit. Yeah, I touched on it in the beginning. And I just want to reiterate their relationship, albeit limited in screen time, was awesome. And this phone call when he's explaining to Finney, like, because Finney's telling him, like, I can't do this. You were the strong one. You always were stronger. And he's like, no, dude, what are you talking about? Like, the reason I was friends with you is because you were just as strong as I was, just in a different way. So he pumps him up. Right, pumps him up. And he says, you know, here's what we're going to do. You're going to fill the phone with dirt. And then he coaches him in a little, like, montage (laughs) how to step back and swing the phone so he can pack a good punch. (laughs) It's a little uh, Rocky, a little mini Rocky montage. (laughs) felt like. But no, I like that scene. It was good. Yeah, and then um, in order to do that, he has to cut the phone wire in order to use the phone as a weapon. So Finney says, you know, am I still going to be able to talk to you? And I thought this line was great. After he pumps him up, Robin knows that he has what it takes. He tells Finney, like, this is it, buddy. Like, you're on your own from now. Right. This is the last time you'll hear from me or see me. Yeah, this is the last time you're going to hear from us. Like, it's all up to you now. We're counting on you pretty much. We want you to get out. So I like that. That was a good emotional payoff to that relationship and to Finney's arc. And he's coming of age. He realizes the only person who's going to get him out of this is himself. Um, So then after that, that's when we see Gwen riding her bike down the street with the house, right? Yeah. In the rain, then when she gets by a house, the dead kids pop up in the middle of the street. And then she looks over and then she's like, oh shit, that's the house with the number from my vision. She finds the house, yeah. So then she runs home and calls the police and calls the detectives. And they rush out of the station to uh, go to this house. And we cut back to Max. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's doing his cocaine. (laughs) 
And then he has an epiphany because he's looking at the map. His eyes go wide and he realizes that it's <laughs> it could be his house. So he starts to get creeped out. And then it cuts back to uh, Finn and he's um, creating all these booby traps, which right. is really cool. We didn't touch on it, but the first time he tries to escape, he tries to dig a hole underneath the tiles and he yes. creates this giant hole. So he, if this is really brilliant how they kind of put this all together um he uses what each victim told him to do in order to escape so he uses the hole to his advantage he uses the grate he home alone's the basement pretty much yeah the fact that he has the freezer and the phone so that's when max comes downstairs and he's like you know he actually said you know we're gonna get you out i'll help you and then we see the door open a little bit more and then good old max gets an axe to the head by the grabber (laughs) that was a cool kill but it felt out of place tonally for like the vibe of the rest of the movie. But I like that kill. Yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty cool. The axe to the head is—I'll never complain about an axe to the head. <laughs> no, no. I was just like, all right, <laughs> we're going there. But the grabber was like, "You made me kill my brother. He was an idiot, but he was my idiot." <laughs> I, I always <laughs> laugh at that line. <laughs> so then the police arrive at what we presume is the house, but it's empty. So then we're led to believe, oh, it's the wrong house. And then we go back to the grabber and Finn and the grabber says, I want to take my time with you and make it hurt again. I'm like, oh, what could have been if it just went a little bit further? So then he brings Samson, the dog in the basement, and he kind of just ties him up, though. I'm like, why'd you bring him there if you're not going to have him do anything? So he brings Samson there and he like hooks him up. And then we get to the finale, which I don't know how you feel, but in my opinion, I was like, wow, this is rushed. Very rushed. There's barely a fight. I don't know how you feel about that. I didn't mind it because, like you said, he home alone's the basement. So I felt like if there was a bigger fight, it would have been a little too unrealistic because the grabber is so much bigger than Finny. I almost wish that the fight started in the basement and then, like, they ended up going up the stairs a little bit and maybe run through somewhere or even run through the basement. Like, literally, once the grabber goes after him, he falls right away. There's no, there is no fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not. He's not intimidating at all in this scene. This is actually the least intimidating he is in the whole movie when he should really be the most intimidating in the final showdown. Yeah, so this is what I wanted to talk about earlier. The reason why they have the brother in this movie, it helps us realize that the grabber is getting more and more flustered and he's getting more and more chaotic because he knows the police are closing in and his brother is closing in on him and his secret. And that's... So... I, I think at this point he's not as scary because he's really like unhinged and doesn't really know what to do. I mean, he's just killed his brother and I thought it was realistic. I didn't mind it actually that there wasn't much of a fight. In my eyes, I'm like, if he thought his brother was ruining it for him, why didn't he kill his brother earlier? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's his brother. I mean, <laughs> why is he letting his brother stay with him? But so Finney gets the upper hand like immediately. You know, the grabber falls into the trap you were talking about and he breaks his ankle. And then I love the Finney stuff. It's great. But like I said, it just happens so fast. So Finney takes his mask off and he literally starts beating the shit out of him, punching him. And then he strangles him with the phone cord, right? And then the phone starts ringing and it's the dead kids on the phone. I love this part. And he goes, this this is for you. And then what do they say? He goes, welcome to the nightmare. Enter your pathetic life. I love that line with the kids. They finally get him back a little bit. And then Finney just breaks his neck right then and there, nice and quick. And I, I think that that would have had more of a payoff for me if it wasn't so quick, because that was an awesome moment for Finney. But I'm like, oh, well, we're already at this moment. In my opinion, there was no buildup in the last uh, standoff. Yeah, I get that. 
so at the same time, the cops discover that there's a basement at this empty house and they find the dead bodies of the kids. And you realize that her dreams were leading her to the house that had all the kids' bodies in it, not necessarily the house that Finn was at. So there's a huge police presence now. And again, I, I love what they did with the sister and how she helped the investigation move along and narrow it down. Me too. And in a way helped the brother figure it out because she didn't save Finn. You find out that Finn saves himself, but she did help Finn because without her, the grabber wouldn't have been so flustered and wouldn't have had to kill his brother. And Finn would have maybe not gotten the upper hand. So I think it was really cleverly done. The fact that she didn't completely save Finn, Finn did it on his own, but she definitely helped him. I feel like she gave Finn the power to want to fight to come back to, you know, his sister you know, they don't have the best home life. So he's also fighting for her to come back to her, which I thought, you know, that's the whole movie's about them two and their relationship. So I thought that was good. One point, I thought they were um, maybe going to explore like them having the shine. Yeah. It almost says like what their power is in a way, you know, they have some yeah. sort of version of that. I'm surprised they didn't go there with this movie and have them kind of not necessarily communicate, but have Finn have dreams or whatever about his sister. They didn't really show that side of it it was really just one way they didn't delve too far into it any of the you know whatever power you know shine if you want to call it they have it's very simplistic and they don't really lay it out for us it's just like oh they can do this which is fine but when you combine the fact that we don't have a lot of grabber scenes and they really didn't dive like you said it's a very safe movie they didn't really like if you're gonna go shallow on the grabber go all in with the powers you know yeah Right. So the finale, I do like the very ending though, you know, I'm thankful that Finney doesn't have to kill the dog. He just pretty much throws him a piece of meat and runs by him. <laughs> yeah, from the freezer. <laughs> so we find out that the grabber lived across the street of where he was burying the bodies, which I thought was clever. So then Finney walks out of the house into the street and then Gwen's across the street waiting on the curb. And I, this is a good emotional moment. They pretty much, you know, they run up to each other and they embrace each other and the music's like, soaring with the score really good score in this moment thought that was actually that got me a little emotional that scene so i thought that was a good uh ending with them two together again and then the dad apologizes to them and you know asks for their forgiveness and says he'll do better so he has a little bit of a character arc too which i like the family the family dynamic i like in this movie a lot yeah and then the movie ends with him going back to school and now he's like this badass that killed the grabber right and it's a total horror movie cliche where his trauma magically makes him like a better kid and more confident because he sits down next to the girl he has a crush on right i love how she's like hi finny he's like you could call me finn yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like that though because it's a coming of age uh that's like the he came of age in fighting for his life so i i bought that you know he would be more confident (laughs) i think anyone would be (laughs) yeah (laughs) i didn't mind that light note and that's literally the end when he says call me finn that's it. It cuts to black and roll credits. So why don't we get into our never split up moments before we get into our reviews? You can go first. Do you want to um, announce our new format for this? Yeah. So we were thinking and brainstorming over the last week. We think it would be fun if we each chose our moment and then we let you guys vote for which one you agree with more. And then the next episode, whoever gets the most votes gets to pick their moment first in the next episode. Make it a little interactive. And get your opinion on what you guys think your never split up moment would be in the comments after voting. 
yeah, it's just a way for us to engage with the listeners, with you guys. And um, I think it's just a fun little segment that we can do. So it's it's going to be called the never split up moment. And basically, right. we're both going to pick moments from the movie where we thought characters did something really stupid or dumb or they could have done better. And again, yeah, you guys can vote on which one you agree with most. And the winner will get a little advantage for next episode and then or next week. So maybe we'll uh, keep score as well. And we can have a little yeah, make it a little competitive competition. Yeah. So what's your moment? You can go first because this is the first uh, week. And because I already kind of touched on my moment earlier, I'll just say it. It's definitely the scene where Finn escapes the house and he kind of just lets the grabber catch up to him with no real struggle with the van and kind of cut him off. And he could have handled that so much better. He could have darted into a backyard or like you said, zigzag or change direction, (laughs) at least have some sort of chase scene or something before he gets captured. But he was pretty dumb in that moment. In every movie where a car is chasing someone, they always run straight instead of zigzag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good moment. That's a good moment. That agitated me. Yeah. So what's yours? So mine's actually right before any of the craziness starts in the beginning. You know, Finney, when he's walking and he sees the grabber come out of the van saying, you want to see a magic trick? I'd be like, uh, hell no, dude. There's a guy going around town abducting kids. I'll, no, thank you. I'm going to go the other way. Stranger danger. Yeah, let me go. Let me come and see your magic trick. <laughs> no. So that's his mistake he made. He should have never went up to the van to see a magic trick from a creepy dude with white makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. And I, I just want to point out that the detectives really dropped the ball, too, because in a case like this where kids are being abducted, you should release all the information possible. So they should have released to the public that he had black balloons. Right. And um, I Finney kind of thought something was wrong when he saw the black balloons, but I feel like they played their cards too close. It was too late at that point because he was like, oh, those black balloons? He's like, yep, and then he just wraps them. But if someone's asking me if I want to see a magic trick, I'm going to say, no thanks. No thank you. I'm going to turn around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it was the 70s, so (laughs) that's a good moment too. That's a great moment, actually. So this this should be a close one. Yeah, this is going to be a tight race. So, you know, vote for Nolan or vote for Anthony. Uh, We will post that, I guess, after we post this episode we'll post it on our social media all right so then uh why don't you go first and give me your overall rating for this movie i was talking like i was a little more harsh on this movie than i feel about it because um I, my overall rating is a seven out of ten because it's a well-made very good movie it's just not the movie that i was expecting like i said this is more of a popcorn horror flick you see with the crowd in the theater and everyone's rooting for the main character throughout and it's jumpy it's fun i was expecting to feel disgusted and grossed out and creeped out by this child murderer throughout. And like I said, to me, the most disturbing scene in the whole movie visually is when Gwen's getting whipped by her dad. And I'm like, should I be feeling this disgusted about that in a movie about a murderer? So my overall rating is 7 out of 10. It's a fun, safe popcorn movie that you can show to pretty much anyone who's new into horror. But I wanted it to be a little bit darker. And if... But a little spoiler because we're going to talk about more of Scott Derrickson's other horror movies. This would be in my lower tier of his movies if I were ranking his movies. But it's still a very good movie. So, 7 out of 10. And when you have Ethan Hawke in your movie, use him more. I don't care what movie it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. You pretty much said a lot of what I was going to say. Uh, the thing that saves this movie and makes it a great movie is the performances by the kid actors. The sister, Gwen, and Finney carry this movie Ethan Hawke 
he's still good. I mean, we I would have wanted to see more out of him, but that's only because he does so well in what he's given. It does suck that he wasn't in this movie more. But the overall story was really well constructed. I like the ending. I know you said it was rushed, the whole fight scene, but it didn't bother me as much. That was my major gripe. Yeah, so I'm also going to give it a 7 out of 10. Oh, wow. We agree. This is the first one we had the same score on, right? Wow. This is our first never split up score where we don't deviate. and <laughs> We'll have the same number. <laughs> I wonder how often that's going to happen. But I, I wanted to give it more, but it, you're right. They, they really played it safe with this one. And it, it had the potential to be so good. They could have extended or switched out some scenes and it could have been, you know, an 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10 movie. I like my darker stuff and I was, you know. It's a well-made movie. Like you said, anyone who's who's new into horror um, will definitely get creeped out by it. I mean, we're horror veterans, so it didn't have the same impact on us, but I can see someone who's newer to horror. A couple good jump scares, you know. Yeah. And no one can say this movie's bad. You know, it's not a bad movie. It's a good movie that's well-made. Well, you said that about Barbarian. <laughs> We've already heard a couple comments. That's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's not jump to conclusions there. But we definitely want to hear what you guys think. If you guys agree with us, don't agree with us. We definitely want to hear your feedback. Also, let us know how we're doing. We're still new to this. This is only our fourth episode. And that's pretty much it. That's the Black Phone. Our next episode is going to be your pick. It's going to be 30 Days of Night. Yes. Yeah, early 2000s vampire movie. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be released later this week. That'll be uh, episode five. So until next time, I'm your co-host Nolan, joined by Anthony, and we'll see you guys next time. Plug the Twitter handle and the Instagram handle so they can vote. So yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NeverSplitUpPod. Again, that's at NeverSplitUpPod on Twitter and Instagram. We also created a Facebook account. But you can follow us there as well if you have Facebook. It's uh, Never Split Up Podcast, so you just search on Facebook, Never Split Up Podcast, and you should be able to find us. We're going to post all of our announcements, all of our episodes when they premiere on all of those socials, so definitely follow us there. Definitely give us uh, ratings, reviews, uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, if it's on Spotify or iTunes or anywhere you're listening, try to give us all the ratings you can because that definitely helps. Is there anything else, Ant? Just let us know what you thought about the black phone and make sure you vote until next time. I'm Nolan. I'm Anthony and we'll see you later.